This is Mistakes in the Making. Hey, it's Drew Maynard, a writer-director from Nashville. Because uh, of all this virus mess, I'm deeply quarantined, so I'm kicking it on my back porch. Uh, you may hear some crickets in the background. I don't know, maybe a dog or two. Hope that's okay. Um, so, I'm going to talk to you about mistakes, uh, which I feel are the most valuable currency uh, in filmmaking at you know our level. Uh, yes, even more valuable than actual currency. Uh, that's until you're making real money, but also mistakes can't pay the bills. Real currency can't, you know, telling, telling better stories requires making mistakes. Um, a little bit of context before I start my personal story. Uh, there's a film writer I follow uh, closely on the internet, and he goes by the name of Film Critic Hulk. Uh, it's kind of a silly name, and I'm not even sure he's that into it, but that's what he goes by. Um, he's great. Look him up. Uh, he's helped me be a better filmmaker with his insight. Uh, and it's rarely about Marvel movies, um, as his name might lead you to believe. Um, he recently wrote an essay about a film called The Watermelon Woman and films that maybe, quote, aren't for you. Uh, the Watermelon Woman is the first feature film written and directed by a black lesbian filmmaker. It was made in 1996. It's exactly 100 years after George Millier, or however you pronounce that old French dude's name, uh, bought his first primitive camera equipment. Uh, so yeah, 100 years later, uh, we get the first uh, film written and directed by a black lesbian filmmaker. Uh, the Watermelon Woman is a landmark in queer cinema, black cinema, and female-driven cinema. And I hope it's okay for me to say, I bet there's a good chance you haven't heard of it. Um, that's because white men have shaped the conception, production, commerce, interpretation, and evaluation of cinema for its entire history. And the residual effects of that white male influence are so vast and so strong, we're only now able to really begin sorting it all out. Right, so, a uh, history lesson over. Thanks for sticking with me on that. Um... So now, what if you realize, instead of watching a film that's not, quote, for you, like The Watermelon Woman, you realize you're making a film that may not necessarily be for you. That was me about uh, 16 months ago. Uh, some friends of mine and very good dudes, uh, the Bolo brothers, Jared Rosso and Grant Carpenter, approached me early in 2019 with the possibility of helping them with a feature-length documentary about Nashville's iconic and legendary shoeshiner in the arcade, uh, Robert Percy Person. Everybody calls him Percy. Uh, he's run a shoeshine business for like 70-something years. I should know this. I made a film about him. but um, At this point, I had only made silly short films about sad men and a few other projects here and there, so the opportunity to make a feature-length feature film uh, about a hometown hero was, of course, really enticing. And it was a bang gig. Uh, Philip Byron Jones and Tammy Parmentier Jones with uh, Red Truck Creative, they had a budget, and they were excited to tell the story of their friend Percy. I was too. Uh, getting paid to do the thing I love most, which is make movies? Yeah, let's go. Let's do this. Um, so Percy... The beating heart of our documentary uh, is a larger-than-life, 83-year-old black man who's worked every day of his life since he was 11 years old. Usually, 
that was spent shining shoes. Uh, back in the day, there were, he would do some things that were less legal than shining shoes, but usually he's shining shoes. I, on the other hand, am a 34-year-old white man with a poodle, a private school education, and I've never really been anywhere near a jail. Probably should have a couple times, though. Um, Percy and I really just have a few things in common. Uh, we're both native Nashvilleians, and that's big. Um, we both love Wu-Tang, um, and neither of us will object to an extra sip of bourbon. Aside from that, we're very different people in very many respects. Okay, back to film world. As talks progressed with the Bowler Brothers and Red Truck Creative, we formed our story, and I was in a way directing slash co-directing slash in the driver's seat of the film's narrative. We had a great crew with incredible cameras, prime lenses, steady cams, drones, all those gizmos and gadgets. We were professional AF. I, I don't know if we can cuss on this podcast. We were professional as fuck. Um, but the narrative backbone was reliant upon, one, Philip's short story about Percy that inspired the movie, and two, my ability to extrapolate that story from its promising origins to the screen. Uh, and that's with lots of help from some good folks that we'll get to in a bit. Uh, so anyone who's made a doc knows that whoever's asking the questions on the other side of the camera has to get acquainted with the subject of the documentary quickly. As the de facto director slash story guy, it was my job to sit down and pull the story out of Percy and anyone else we talked to. After two brief, beautifully enlightening introductory chats with Percy off-camera, with no gear or anything, um, we had an intense five-day shooting schedule to make the documentary. And that about killed us all. Uh, five days to build an on-camera rapport with someone who's lived 83 years on Earth. Five days to sort through a lifetime. Five days to uh, build off of the narrative and chase any new leads that emerged. Uh, the crew was undoubtedly going to hit their marks, and I, as a story guy, had to hit mine. Uh, I'm going to keep bragging on the crew a bunch, and I would jump at the opportunity to literally work with every single one of them again, but I'm also just going to let you know that we were almost entirely white and almost entirely male. Uh, and we were making a film about a black man. So this was in 2019. We should have known better. But in a 2020 post-George Floyd world, yeah, we definitely should have known better. You're probably listening to this going, dude, what? So looking back on this, yeah, this is why I'm on a podcast talking about mistakes. Um, so I hardly knew her at the time. But someone who's now a friend of mine by the name of Ashley Lockridge Davis was a PA on the dock. Her partner worked with my wife and was interested in working with us on film, in films. Uh, and I was like, yeah, let's go. We're doing this thing about pressure. Are you in? She said, yeah. Um, she's actually one of my favorite people. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm hesitant to throw a label or anything, but just for the sake of the podcast, since we don't have visuals, uh, Ashley is a black woman. Um, she's a black woman with an incredible narrative insight and way more work ethic than most PAs. Hire her, work with her, and in more of a PA capacity. Uh, it's just context that'll come in, come in later. Uh, so as we all tried to keep up with the production schedule of the film, um, and I tried to extrapolate the story, digest it, and you know, build further questions that would lead us to a better story throughout all of this, we kept bumping into roadblocks, big and small, with Percy. Um, 
He's a natural-born storyteller, and he's very entertaining. He has to be. He's at the feet of people every day from every background, and he charms every single one of them. Uh, but while shooting the dock, with cameras in his face, and all of us hovering around, when he got to a subject he didn't want to discuss, he simply wouldn't discuss it. That's that. Like, 80-year-old man obstinance. And as he would say, and I'm going to leave it at that. I couldn't press him any further. I tried a couple times, and he would just say, I'm going to leave it at that. And those portions didn't make it into the documentary. Uh, but it's, it's their story there. Uh, and I respect that choice of his. We all have parts of our past that we wouldn't discuss with strangers, with cameras in our face, or even close friends. So I get it. Um, but it's a movie about his life, and we have to connect certain dots to tell the story of Percy. And there's a lot of story. For example, spoiler alert, in the 70s, when he couldn't work as a shoeshiner, Percy was a pimp. Like a pimp. With uh, women and guns and stuff. Uh, he's not terribly proud of that, and he had a hard time opening up about it. And that's okay. Um, but as we tried to tell his story as gently uh, and respectfully as we could, he just simply wouldn't let us in. So... Cut to halfway through production, um, and Ashley has built up quite a rapport with Percy. They get along very well and hang out often off camera. Um, just randomly between shots, she asks me, you know, if I had heard about this or that from Percy. And I'm like, what? No, I had no idea. Uh, and these weren't salacious tidbits or incriminating anecdotes, but just casual stories that Percy would simply be much more open about with his guard down with Ashley. It's good material for a documentary. Like, if the movie's a coloring book, I just realized I'm only working with the Crayola 12-pack, but there's a 96-pack out there. I wanted that material, but it wasn't coming forth on camera with Percy. I guess I need to assure you guys that we never betrayed... Percy or Ashley by utilizing any information that was spoken in confidence between the two. We weren't going to operate that way. It's just a movie. There's no need to disrupt personal relationships or any like, anything like that. And it, it was all done in good faith. Um, yeah, just to let you know about that. Uh, so midway through production, I'm exhausted. My brain is in tatters. And this revelation of how information should flow wallops me. Sure, I'm maybe not the best interviewer, and yes, cameras are intimidating to most people, but I realized that my whiteness was a hindrance to the quality of the story we were telling about Percy. There are aspects of Percy's history that we simply could not explore. When he sits down to tell his story, it's cameras and my white face he's telling the story to. So, white people... No matter how well-intended we may feel we are, uh, we must understand that there is an inherent and understandable lack of trust from our neighbors in the black community. It's real, and it's justified. Personally, again, we may have the best intentions, but historically, white people are collectively shit to anyone who isn't white. Or even sometimes shit to people that are white, but that's another podcast another time. Uh, so this this... This mindset of who to trust and how to trust was at the forefront of Percy's mind 
throughout my prodding questions. And it never occurred to me until we were halfway through production. So my job is to basically prod and poke through this man's history. Uh, And I was asking this seasoned black man to trust me, and he wasn't having it. And that's no fault of his. I cannot stress that enough. He was completely justified in doing so. I didn't even know what I was asking of him. So I found myself in a deep uh, personal and creative crisis. I realized this was maybe not my story to be telling. Uh, I've never had a feeling in my stomach like I had that day. I was, I was on set just thinking, I, I, I don't think this is my story to tell. And that's obviously not something you want to be thinking as a director of a film that's in production. So in the midst of this crisis, and not to turn it on me, uh, Percy's life is way harder. I just had a conflict on how to do my job well. But in the midst of the crisis, I, I had a few options. What do I do? Do I change up who asks the questions? And we thought about it. Do I... Uh, rewrite the story? Not really at this point, and that's still me doing it. Uh, Do I hand it over to a filmmaker better equipped to relate to Percy? Again, the production train had left the station long ago. It was too late for any of that. So I had to decide what to do, and I needed to do it quickly. If I made any drastic changes, would the film suffer? Yeah, it's likely. We're all new at this. Uh, Across the board, Pretty much, as a crew, it was our first feature. So for the director to jump ship or bring in a fresh captain, we'd very likely sink right in the middle of an intense schedule. Um, I've been a part of those productions where the captain bailed, and I've seen the crew scramble, and the product suffers, and I wasn't going to put the crew through that or risk something even worse happening to the production. So, yeah. Uh, I stuck with it. I I reconfigured my approach to the story in that it would be a different film with someone of color in my place, uh, and I kept that in mind through the rest of production. Uh, as we learned more about Percy, his story, and interviews and connections that could help shape his story, uh, we did everything we could to talk to um, older black men about the doc and let them tell his story. And those were those were some of my favorite interviews, and and I feel they were absolutely necessary. Uh, there just aren't really movies for older black men, um, so their involvement in their narrative became increasingly important to us. Did we succeed in making a good film? I think so. I hope so. Um, we've told Percy's story, but it might be the Cliff Notes version. Uh, would the film be different had it been made by a mostly black crew as opposed to a mostly white crew? Yes. Yes. Did I know that going into it? Yeah, I probably did. Um, But the capital M mistake I made was that I didn't put in enough work on the front end to make that happen, as I clearly should have. Uh, Am I proud of what we accomplished as a team? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I am just less proud of myself in regard to what I did as a white man Uh, in the film industry. 
So throughout production and throughout post, um, Ashley made the film better, and I'll never forget how she stepped in with such care for Percy and the story and its portrayal. Um, the story is better for her involvement, and I'm thankful for that. Post-COVID, I cannot wait to work with her again. Um, and if, it shouldn't go without mentioning that my good buddy, Caleb Dirks, who wore many hats on set, um, also greatly helped shape the story. His uh, cosmic spirituality uh, and intensely focused articulation of narrative has pulled out so many stories and themes on projects we've worked on throughout the years. And of course, Philip Byron Jones, uh, Percy's longtime friend uh, and executive producer of the film, uh, he was huge in helping us procure some great stories and great insight from Percy. Uh, we even got to the point where we just have them hanging out on camera together and we'd see what we could get. And that really helped kind of make the conversations feel more natural uh, and help break down the weirdness of the one-on-one -on -one camera interview style. If there's a moral here, it's that moving forward, I gotta do better. If anyone listening is open to constructive instruction, we've all gotta do better. Nashville's film community is overwhelmingly white men. Um, let's set an example. Let's do better. And let's be more inclusive. Uh, and we gotta do better not just to tick off boxes and pat ourselves on the back, but to tell better stories. That's where we're in the business of making pictures. We got to tell stories. I, oh, I'm so sorry I said making pictures like that. Okay. Um, so, an inevitable plug. Um, this documentary is itching to hit the festival circuit, but due to this damn virus, all the fun hubbub of having a finished product to show off um, is now in intense limbo, and we just take it day by day. Um, but if you want to follow Percy Shine Service on your preferred social media channel, uh, we'll have updates regarding screening and any other fun things. Um, my social channels at Drew Maynard will also have periodic updates on the film, but it's sprinkled in between photos of my dog on Instagram and screaming at elected officials on Twitter. So, uh, enter if you dare. Uh, Chris, thanks for having me on. Um, it's always a pleasure to engage with our film community here in Nashville, and I can't wait to hear about other people's mistakes. You've been listening to Mistakes in the Making. If you have your own mistake that you've made while in the film industry and you want to let others know so they don't make the same mistake, reach out to us at contact at bonsai.film, and we'll take it from there. You can also reach out to us on social media at underscore Bonsai Creative on Instagram and Twitter. And you can search for us on Facebook at Bonsai Creative. You can also visit our website where we have industry insights and links to all of our podcasts and so much more at www.bonsai.film. And thank you for listening.